0: So good, so good to have you guys. Um, before we, we enter in, let's open up, well, let's open up to Ezekiel chapter 16, Ezekiel chapter 16. Um, and before we, we read this, um, let me just say um, something, just if before you stand up, I, a lot of you, I love it, I love it. a lot of you guys are already like, it's like reflex, you hit your knee and it ding, you know, it's like I say, open to Ezekiel 16 and people stand to attention, it's like, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and there, Ezekiel, is, um, <laughs> uh, Ezekiel is a lot of bad news, like for the first half, right? And so as we read this, I want us to hear this. This is a, a shocking passage that Ezekiel going to say. And um, so Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1, once you find it, stand to your feet in honor of God and His Word and also to brace ourselves. Sometimes God says things that are um, quite a bit for us to, um, to take in. Ezekiel 16, beginning in verse 1, we'll go to verse 22. Again, the word of the Lord came to me Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. You were cast out on an open field, for you were aboard on the day you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood. And I said, in your, said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk And embroidered cloth, you ate fine flour and honey and oil, you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord. But you trusted in your beauty, and you played the whore because of your renown, and and lavished your whorings On any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and you made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them you played the whore, like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and you made yourself images of men, and with them you played the whore. You took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour, oil, and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your own blood. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. (sighs) All right, so most of the time the Bible is rated G. Okay, most of the time it's rated G. And most of the sermons that I preach are essentially for general audiences, right? That you can come in, you can invite anybody in. Any age can be here. I'm kind of scanning the room to make sure the kids got out for this one. But as we dig in, you know, as we do our Bible study, and as we learn some of the, we dig a little deeper in some of the passages that we hear, we realize that sometimes the Bible is PG, parental guidance suggested. There's some crass words or concepts, maybe some love stories, There are arguments, and in the Bible there's violence, there's moderate violence, moving into more adult themes, and so we give a little fair warning. And there are some times in our Bibles where we're taken aback, that some passages in our Bibles are rated R and intended for mature audiences only, either for their violence, like something like the the story of Cain and Abel, that's a murder story. The story of David killing Goliath is someone mowing someone down on the field of battle. The genocides in Canaan, the crucifixion of Jesus. If we were present, these would have been R-rated. Or perhaps for their explicit sexual content, like Song of Songs, I was listening to Song of Songs, I'm listening through the Bible, um, and uh, it's it's a chronological order and I'm, I'm behind. Just so you guys know, I don't know where you're at in your Bible reading for the year. Like, I'm like 150 days behind, okay? So don't, look, there's no judgment here. Like, we're all in this together, okay? So I'm behind, but I'm listening to the song of songs, and I'm like on a walk, I'm like, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! You know, you listen to that, you're like, no, there's no, you know, the Hebrew boys couldn't read that until they were 13. And here we have, among scholars and commentators, Most agree that Ezekiel is generally a PG book, but Ezekiel 16 is R-rated. So, a little fair warning, Charles Spurgeon said that Ezekiel 16 could not be read in public. And it's safe to say that the verses in Ezekiel 16 probably did not make the cut to get on a Hobby Lobby decoration. Okay? So like you think about, you know, for this child I prayed, you know, from 1 Samuel, you know, and, and Hannah's prayer, it was, you could imagine the Hobby Lobby people together like, all right, all right, all right, let's, let's rally some verses together. That 1 Samuel verse, should we go with that or should we go with Ezekiel 16, you were aboard on the day that you were born? What should we go with? Like what should we hang up in the baby's room? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 31, or should we go with... When I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your own blood. Like that didn't make, okay, these are jokes. everybody. I mean, can you imagine, like, it's the irony. I feel like I should make an Instagram account, like the verses that didn't make it on the Hobby Lobby decorations, and just every once in a while throw one out there. You know, um, instead of like, he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men, you know, right? Eze- Ezekiel 16, your breasts were formed and your hair had grown and you were naked and bare. No laughs. Okay, look, I'm going to try to rephrase, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dial it back here, okay? Um, okay, <laughs> so we're going to try to keep a level of decorum here. I was trying to be, like, break the ice a tad. But we have to acknowledge that as we've been going through Ezekiel, Ezekiel has, has news to give, and it's not good news at this point, it's bad news, that to a group of people who had already been conquered and already been sent out in exile, that Ezekiel was still preaching judgment. And we're going to get to that point, we're going to get to the point where Ezekiel changes his tune, where God says, okay, that's enough. Enough is enough. But here we have to acknowledge the whole point, there's nothing new, there's no new information in this passage. What Ezekiel is doing here, his whole point for this passage is a lack of decorum. His whole point is to be so shocking so graphic here as to shock the people into realizing, look, we've been taken in exile, but it's still not like there's still more to come because the sins that we have committed are so heinous. They are not just mistakes G-rated. They're not just bad PG. They are horrific. In the most intimate way, it could be horrific. And this is the point what Ezekiel is trying to do. This passage, Ezekiel is giving primarily for shock value. And so, when I thought it was a good idea to preach through Ezekiel, I had not entirely accounted for this passage. So, here we are today, and we'll see how this goes. So, what we're going to hear is essentially R-rated, and we're going we're gonna to be, we'll keep a level of decorum, but we do want to understand that Ezekiel is trying to give a sense of the gravity of our infidelities that are represented in our sin, and what Jerusalem, what the people of Israel and the leaders of Israel have done to the God who loves them and has covenanted together with them. And so part of what we're going to do is we're going to get in the Wayback Machine and we're going to go into the ancient world, which is not a pretty place. The ancient world is a horrible place. The ancient world, the more you learn of it, is is a nasty place. No, There's no medicine, there's no sewers, there's no clean water. Like, it's a horrible place that people will wield their power with no respect for the people that they conquered. There's no such thing as human rights. There's no such thing as equal rights. And in the ancient world, these images would have been known but not talked about in public. And that's what makes Ezekiel's proclamation here that much more shocking. These were the things that maybe you talked about in private, but never in public, never from the mouth of a prophet, a man of God. How could, how could you say the word Yahweh, the word, the word of the Lord, with these lips that have spoken these things? This is supposed to be shocking. All right, so let's look at the passage, and let's look at the way it's shocking and what Ezekiel is trying. do. you guys with me? So buckle up. I mean, brace yourself, or like the book of Job says, gird yourself up like a man, but anyway, all right, thank you guys, you're like, did we pick this day to come visit Taft Avenue Community Church? Good, all right, all right, so the first thing is this, look at at Ezekiel 16.1, it says, again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, and what uh, Ezekiel is going to describe, is that Jerusalem as a city, he's comparing Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the the crown jewel of Israel, to a, a girl baby. And what he's going to compare Jerusalem to is to a girl baby that is being, in the ancient world, what they called exposed. Okay, let's read the passage. Ezekiel 16, 13. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are the land of the Canaanites, your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Okay, now basically what he's saying here is that Jerusalem, you are a bastard child. There's no nobility in your birth. You are are an unwanted pregnancy is what he's saying. As for your birth on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the Hebrew custom was, of course, the baby comes out, um, you you cut the umbilical cord, you wash off the baby, baby, and then their practice was to take oil and salt and to rub the baby. They thought it would make the, the skin... They make the, thought it would make the skin um, a little tougher. And they swaddled the baby. They thought it would de- keep the limbs together. It was a, these were all acts of love and compassion that you would have on a child. But what he says is that um, these, none of these things happened to you, Jerusalem. No, I pitied you to do any of these things out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on an open field. You were aboard on the day that you were born. And this is the sign, again, Ezekiel is saying, in the ancient world, okay, again, here's where we get R-rated. In the ancient world, there was no birth control. And if you had an unwanted pregnancy, either by rape or incest, or simply an unwanted pregnancy, or maybe the baby was somehow came out with some kind of disability or deformed. And I know these sensibilities are shocking to us. That's exactly the point that Ezekiel is making, that if you had one of these babies, what you would do is you would carry it to full term, and then you would send the young maiden out to go expose the baby somewhere outside the city, go out into the countryside and leave the baby. Go give birth and leave it there. Now, to us, we, I mean, you're probably like, that is, that's horrible. That is horrible. And I got news for you, up until the fifth century AD, that was the practice. You know who changed the practice? Christians. What they did was they went out to the countryside and they gathered up all these babies. And they started to raise them, rather than raising them as temple prostitutes, as some people would, or gladiators, they'd gather up the boy babies and they'd make, them gla- they'd make them fighters, or you'd gather up the girl babies and you'd make them temple prostitutes. The Christians would gather them up and raise them as their own. This is something that happened, I mean, this is up until 1,500 years ago, that was the standard practice. So anyway, good, like, yes, the, the, church, the church has always been pro-life, always, always, Anyway, I don't want to get pumped up about that, but I am. Um, But all this to say, this is horrible. And in the ancient world, Ezekiel, as he tells us, they would have known, they would have known. He's he's saying that our city is a bastard child, unwanted, exposed, just laying out in a field. But Yahweh adopts Jerusalem. Look at 16.6. When I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood. And I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. So this baby, this girl baby, is out in the middle of a field. And the image is that Yahweh comes by in this Covered in afterbirth and blood. I know this is disgusting. This is the point of Ezekiel. What is your origin? Where have you come from, Jerusalem? You were nothing. Abandoned, unwanted. And I took you in. I said live. I fed you. I raised you. I washed you. And you grew up. You became tall. You were adorned, and then he goes on. And this again, this as a young woman, her the, your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, and you were naked and bare. And again, I, sorry, the, but trust me that the Hebrew here is very crass. And then it says, Yahweh not only adopts Jerusalem, Yahweh marries Jerusalem, Ezekiel sixteen eight. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were of the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. And we talked about this when Ezekiel chops up all his hair up here. Remember, we chopped up the hair. And he takes a little bit of it, and he puts it in the pocket of his garment. And this idea that under the covering, under the garment's covering is protection. And that this would have been a sign of covenant protection, that I'm going to cover you with my garment, I'm going to covenant protection, with you and I'm going to protect you. I will be your husband. You will be my wife. I will be my, your God. You will be my people. I made a vow to you. I entered into covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Think of where you came from. Born, cast aside, unwanted, covered with blood in a field to die, I raised you, and then I I brought you, and I covered you with my garment. I made a vow to you. And then Yahweh lavishes. Look at verse 9. And I bathed you with water, and I washed off your blood from you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth, and shod you with fine leather. And the idea of embroidered cloth probably gives this, that that's what the priests would wear. Priests would wear embroidered cloth. And so this idea that, he, that this, in this metaphor, Yahweh is saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I brought you, you were unwanted. I, I adopted you. I brought you in. I put my temple in you. And then 11, verse 11, I, I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and chain on your neck. I put a ring in your nose and earrings on your ears, beautiful crown on your head. Anyone who says that, you know, you can't have a nose ring, like hasn't read Ezekiel 16, right? God gives a nose. Okay, I'm not, look, don't listen to that, Emma, my daughter up there. Um, You know. I put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. You were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil, maybe that's like manna. They said that manna was like it was like honey and, and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and you advanced to royalty from a field left to die, to raised up, lavished upon, advancing to royalty. Verse six, or 14, your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God. So, this idea every every conceivable part of her body is covered with adornment wrists, neck, ears, everything that, everything that can have adornment on it has it. It's, and it's gold and silver, and it's overwhelming. Notice in verse 14, the beauty is world renown, but it was because of why? It was because of what Yahweh had done. Your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. It was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God. And then this is where it gets gritty. This is where it gets hard to hear. And this is where it gets uh, rated R. Ezekiel 16, 15. You trusted in your beauty and you played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. Now, this, this phrase, ESV, is like, hey, we're not going to pull any punches. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pull out the whore word here. Okay, that in, in uh, the ESV and the New Revised Standard said say that Jerusalem, you played the whore and you lavished your whorings. Okay, New American Standard says you played the harlot, and you poured out your harlotries. King James says you played the harlot, and you poured out thy fornications. Okay, um, NIV NIV maybe says it a little bit more to our ears today. You became a prostitute and you lavished your favors on people. The Common English Bible says, you traded on your fame and seduced all who came, you prostituted yourself. The idea, and again, the idea here, it's hard. There's, when, you, when you look at all the different translations and the different way that these are being said, it's very difficult to figure out how in English to get this across and to get this across in a Bible translation nonetheless. But the idea is that God had raised Jerusalem, God had raised this person, this woman, to the point of sexual maturity, covenanted with her, used, gave her the beauty and the wealth that she needed, but she used that wealth and that beauty not to go after Yahweh, but to go after other lovers. Verse 17, You took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver which I had given you, and you made for yourself images of men, and with them you played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them, and set my oil and incense before them. Also, my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour, oil, and honey, you set before them For a pleasing aroma. So it was, declares the Lord God. So, this idea that all the ornamentation that she had been given, all her bracelets and necklaces and and earrings, she melted them down and she made idols out of them. And trust me to say that the Hebrew is crass when it says what she does with these things. Goes on in verse 20. You took your sons and your daughters, whom you had born to me, and you sacrificed them to be devoured. And this is hearkening to child sacrifice that would have happened to the god Molech, that your firstborn, I can't even say, I mean, it's just, it's horrible. Look, you're going to have to trust me that it's horrible, that it's horrific. And that as Ezekiel is saying these things, people are I mean, even right now, you might feel a little uncomfortable that I'm talking about a young woman who has come up and, you know, we we didn't even talk about menstrual cycles, and that's in there, and we didn't talk about, you know, all the things that are going on. This this is going to make, imagine Ezekiel standing in the middle of a refugee camp talking about your city of origin as this proverbial adulterer. You slaughtered my children, and delivered them up as an offering by fire. Jerusalem forgets how it got to where it was in verse 22, and all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. You don't remember where you came from. You don't remember. You don't remember where you came from and how you got out of that. And, and even if, if you think that this is bad, it just gets worse. I'm not going to read the rest. I'm just going to say um, in, in verse 24, the, it says that Jerusalem, uh, this woman produces vaulted chambers that would have been on every street corner. And the idea is that this would be a place of where ritual prostitution would happen in Jerusalem, in open air, in street corners. 1625, I, I mean, even as I stand here, it's like I to say this, that in Hebrew it says, in 1625, that you spread your legs for every passerby. (laughs) And again, I feel, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I'm saying this. This is horrible. Then it talks about her lovers, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, and trust me that in the Hebrew there are some lewd phrases in there. It says in 1627, even the Philistines were ashamed of you. Even the Philistines thought you're over the top. And in verse 31, he says, look, you you played the prostitute, but you were worse than a prostitute. Prostitutes received payment. You paid your lovers. And because of this, in verse 36... Jerusalem, this maiden, will be shamed and killed. And I'm going to leave it there because it's just... I don't, it, again, as I'm reading this, you know, you, you prepare and you're like, well, what will I read and what will I not read? And in the moment, I'm just saying, look, I'm just going to leave it there. It's bad. It's bad. You can read it on your own. It's there. And it's there for the shock value. And of course, this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for Jerusalem which is a symbol for the leadership of the people of Israel. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why Ezekiel chooses the image of an adulterous woman. and Because Ezekiel chooses this image of an adulterous woman who is insatiable in her appetites. But in, in my experience, it's more the men who are insatiable in their appetites. Like, it's more that the men are the ones who cannot be satisfied, men who go hunting for sexual partners. It's not women. But I think maybe because that image is more shocking And we have to ask ourselves, what, what is Ezekiel doing here? What is he trying to accomplish? And for the people of Israel who are in this refugee camp thinking, okay, we've suffered enough, we've suffered enough, and Ezekiel is still saying, no, there's more to come, there's more to come. And they're like, well, why? Why? We're going to hear, in, in another passage, like, it's sour grapes, like, our, the, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It's like, it's our parents' fault. It's their fault. It's not our fault. We're, the, we're just paying for their, for their sins. Like, what did we ever do wrong? And Ezekiel is saying, no, 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 no. This, is, this happened from the beginning, the middle, the end, all the way up to the end. And I think for us, just as we, what do we do with a passage like this? What do we do with a passage like this? I, um, someone came to me one time and said, I read a passage, and they're like, I had no idea what you were going to pull out of that, and yet you did. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a nice thing to say. And I got to this passage, I'm like, what am I going to pull out of this passage? What we, what's the take-home, everybody? What's the take-home? Now, here's, here's the best I can do. Here's the best I'm going to offer is this. Sometimes we overestimate our own skills and ability, like where we land in life. Like Jerusalem, Jerusalem's like, well, I'm, I'm beautiful, and I'm adorned, and this is like, I'm beautiful. And in that case, uh, Jerusalem believes that the gifts of beauty were hers to dispense at her desire, Sometimes we underestimate what God has done for us and where we land in life. We don't get to choose where we're born. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose where we're born in the story. We have to understand that wherever I'm at in life, that God's blessing has brought me here. It's God's blessing. Even the ability to maybe, even as you think about, well, I'm skilled at something. Even your ability to learn those skills even those talents, those natural abilities you might, have, you might have had from birth, those are gifts. Those are things that God has given you. You've got great hair, awesome. God has gifted you with that. You're good at whatever it is, sports. You're good at, at art. You're good musically. You're good at whatever you do. You're good at administration. That's awesome. God has given you that gift. Sometimes we underestimate what God has done for us, and sometimes we underestimate the seriousness of our shortcomings. Sometimes we make excuses. Sometimes we we don't think of our shortcomings as sin, or we don't think of our shortcomings as infidelity. Our sin our sin and our idolatry is more nuanced, right? It's not like these people. It's more nuanced. Like, there's, it's more of a gray area, right? Like, it's more nuanced the way, the, the, what I go after. The, but the truth is, the truth is that we have lovers that we're seeking out. Whether it's for our identity, who we are. We find something and we find our identity in it. Not the God that loves us. We seek out our identity in something besides the God who loves us, and we go after our lover. We search out places for security. Not the God who loves us. We search our security in other things, whether it's financial security or another person. We seek our security not in the God who loves us. We go after our lovers. We search out our places for satisfaction or pleasure that are not the God who loves us. Whatever it is, our binging on Netflix, pornography, romance novels, whatever it is, we find our place to occupy our brains, to give us that that dopamine hit that we're looking for, to feel good. We search out places for pleasure, not from the God who loves us. It's not just our shortcomings. It's our unfaithfulness. We're looking, we are looking for love in the wrong places, in all the wrong places, right? And we forget the intimacy and love that has been bestowed upon us. And Ezekiel here is reminding us and reminding the people of Israel that, uh, that sin is not just bad, That sin is not just horrible, that sin is a breach of trust, sin is infidelity, sin is betrayal in the most intimate of ways, and His language is intended to shock us back into reality. All right. Now, what do we... (laughs) Chapter 16 is shocking, and it does its work because it is one chapter in 40-something chapters, right? You cannot live your life on a diet. If that, if that sermon goes through your head every day, like, look, you cannot live with a diet of that. You can be shocked, right? You can be shocked out of out of your stupor. We can be shocked out of our stupor. It's, it's hard to live on a diet of that kind of, of grit every day. We have to be reminded that there is a God who loves us, right? But, but Ezekiel is coming, and he even knows that, look, the people, and God knows, the people can hear this bad news for so long, for so long, and even if they, they're callous to it, then I'm going to be shocking to them and wake them up. And that, look, I, I think that it's important to, for us to understand that a, a steady diet of this kind of shocking imagery every day, that's not what the Bible is. But it is sometimes. And there's a time that we need to hear a sermon like this. Maybe not every week, and it won't be every week because I don't. That's not how I read the. That's not what I think the Bible is saying every week. But it's saying it with this passage today. All right. Self-report time. Self-report. You're like, how? What are you going to self-report after a sermon like? Oh, what that? Like. Whoa. Self-report. I am colorblind. Self-report. Okay. Red, green, colorblind. Anybody else in here, red, green, colorblind? Oh, man, I'm alone. All right, so I'm alone. I'm alone in my inadequacies here. It means that I cannot see shades of red or green in various colors. So the way this worked out as a kindergartner is whenever I would draw, I would color. Um, I would always color because they're all, everybody else was using the blue crayons, and I'm like, hey, another blue crayon. I didn't know it was purple, so the sky would be purple, and then I'd be looking for a green crayon because I'm looking to do the grass and um, I'm like, hey, I'm like, and everybody's got green crayons because they're all doing the grass. So I find, hey, here's another green crayon. And what is it? It's brown because I can't see. I can't tell. Now, it's not like I see everything black and white. I can see colors. And even if I there's enough light, I can tell. Or if I hold these two things next to each other. So don't, let's not play the, hey, Pastor Craig, can you tell what color this is? That's not a fun game for me, okay? As much as it might be fun for you, it's not fun for me, okay? Now what this means practically in my life is this, is that I essentially need geranimals. You guys remember geranimals? I, I see that, I see that over, yeah. Granimals is, like, if you wanted to know if the pants matched the shirt, you get the, the dog to match the dog, and every, every, this was like at Sears, was it Sears that had Granimals or JCPenney? I can't remember what it is. I'm really going back, but it was basically, here's a way you match the animal to the animal, and you know that the shirt matches the pants, right? Now, my Granimals is my wife, Kelly. She's my Granimals. She buys, so whatever she buys, she's like, that goes together. I'm like, check, make a note. Okay, and so I'll, t- I'll tend to wear like a uniform generally, like, because I want to make sure that things match each other or I find things that are neutral that can go with really anything because I can't see a lot of patterns. Like, I'll wear a lot of solids, and when we went online, they're like, you got to wear solids. I'm like, check, copy that, solids are awesome. Okay, um, but all that to say, okay, and, and this is, what it, why am I saying this in this term? Because I think it, it gives us a, a principle on which we operate when we are in a relationship with Jesus, okay? And here's the principle, and we, we learn it because if, if you look at me, and you're like, man, Pastor Craig, he's looking good today. I mean, he's looking really good, okay? He's ma- he, it's every that whole outfit, man, that's all going together, that works. And if you ever see that, can I take credit for that? Negative. All credit goes to my wife, all credit. And some of you guys out there are like, that's true in my life as well. But I, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll be the one who takes the bullet for everybody, okay? But if I'm standing up here and you're like, what was Pastor Craig doing? Like, and you're like, oh, those shoes, those socks, like, I, 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 it doesn't really happen. That, whatever you decided, not a good idea. Like, if, I, if I'm standing up here and you're like, that doesn't match, Somebody tell Pastor Craig, okay? If that happens, you know who's to blame? You don't blame Kelly, you blame me. And this is the way, this is the way we, we operate in our relationship with God. This is the way the city of Jerusalem needed to see it. The city of Jerusalem thought, I am ornamented and beautiful and I am the te- where the temple of God is and that is not because of me. That's because of God. I need to remember where I've come from. I need to remember that field that I was abandoned in. Unloved, unwanted bastard. And I need to remember where I came from. Everything that is good in my life is a blessing from God. I take no credit for it. But my shortcomings my missteps, my sins, I have no one else to blame but me. There's no one else to blame. You don't blame God, you don't blame your parents, you don't blame other people. If I sin, it's on me. And that's what Jerusalem needs to know. It's not the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been set on edge, that's not the case. It's on them. If it was good, God did it. If it's bad, it's your fault. And I think that's, a, that's a generally a, a fair way to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe. You know, as I was working this week and preparing and thinking about this image of essentially Jerusalem that is um, a woman that is caught in adultery and who will be dragged out into the city square and stripped down and stoned to death and, and cut into pieces, is what Ezekiel says. It reminded me that this is not the way God wants to do it. And you might say, well, Pastor Craig, how do you know that that's not... It's in the Bible, right? That's the way it's there. It's in the Bible. That must be how God wants to do it. And the reason I know that is because I love Jesus. And because someone named John, the apostle, decided to write some things down about Jesus. And he has a story in the Gospel of John about a woman who is caught in adultery. And I'm going to read it to you because I feel like as we, as we hear this news, we need to understand... That God has another way. That as we sang, His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. John 8, 1. I'm just going to read it to you. Early in the morning, He came again to the temple. All the people came to Him. And sat down and, and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Talk about an R-rated scene. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? I mean, you can imagine this woman upon and some came in the most intimate moments of her life. She's ripped out, thrown into a square, half naked, It says they did this to test him. They might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down with his finger and wrote on the ground. doesn't say what he wrote. A lot of people have ideas. Maybe he wrote out Ezekiel 16. I don't know. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. And as Jesus does that, and as he, the woman caught in adultery, as he releases her, I can only imagine that Jesus is thinking, and I am going to pay the price. What happens to Jerusalem, stripped naked, killed, cut into pieces, that's going to happen to Jesus. And God says, I don't want to do this. I don't want this to be, I don't want adulterous women or men to be stoned and killed. I want, I want to have mercy. And so he sends his son so that he would show that his mercy is indeed more. And as we think about Ezekiel 16 and the shocking truth of that, we do need to keep in mind that our sins are not to be trifled with, they are not nothing, they are not simply missteps, (sighs) they are infidelity, intimate infidelity. And we need to be reminded of that. Maybe we need to be reminded of that and we also need to be reminded that God is not the one condemning us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus as we put our faith in Him that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 16 reminds us of where we came from and reminds us that we have been covenanted with and that our aim is to be faithful and to be found faithful. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating, we're celebrating that Jesus has indeed made a way. Our missteps, our miscues, our infidelities, our sins have indeed separated us from God. That there is a wrath of God that is to come. And that as Christ, Colossians says we were at one time children of wrath. But God has made a way that His mercy is more.